0: a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow
1: investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, June 26, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today as always, to help you become a better investor. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Summer just started. So we have uh, a lot of sunny months ahead, hopefully, and a lot to talk about in markets. Uh, Usually the summer months are are kind of boring, but you had some fireworks uh, in Russia over the weekend with the attempted coup or whatever you want to call it but it was certainly eventful for markets and you saw a big shift in sentiment today. Markets didn't move a whole lot, which we'll get to, but there was some underlying currents that I think uh, are important to watch. So we're gonna dig into that today. But ultimately, we're here to talk about whatever's on your mind. That's what's most important. And I know for a lot of you, real estate and interest rates are on your mind whether you own real estate as you're just your primary residence or maybe you have a second home or third home maybe you have a lot of rental properties well we have a new wealth webinar coming up this Wednesday just a couple of days away less than 48 hours away and it's called rates in real estate it's a free webinar and we're going to discuss the trends in commercial and residential real estate for 2023 and beyond we're going to look at how REITs are likely to be affected, and how to think about uh, investing in REITs, and deferred sales trusts. We have a, uh, a guest, Kent Lefaver. He is part of the webinar as well, and he has a lot of experience uh, in regards to ways to defer taxes on a lot of real estate that you might own or other type of uh, dep- appreciated asset. So I encourage you to register over on investtalk.com. It's from one to two Pacific time this Wednesday. And once again, you can register for free right now over at investtalk.com. Now on today's program, my goal is to blend my comments with your questions, I have topics that I think are interesting to me, but what's most important are the topics that will help you become better investors to make better decisions, with your capital and you set the table. You're a vital part of this program. So I encourage you to reach out eight 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 ninety nine chart. And here on in Invest Talk, we don't pre-screen our calls, we take them live as they are. And no no agenda. What the agenda is really you and helping you do a few things. Ignore emotions, try to weed out the natural fear and greed that seeps in based on headlines that you might see or uh, major moves one way or the other in particular sectors or or companies or asset classes and try to weed through that noise so that you are focused on the task at hand, the data that's in front of you, the market that's in front of you, not the way you wish it should be or somebody on the TV thinks it should be or your cousin or your brother, your sister or your or your mother, right? So... That's our goal here, is to filter out so much noise from social media to TV, uh, etc. So my focus point today hits on the story behind this headline. England is heading towards a mortgage catastrophe. Could this happen in the U.S.? We're going to look at that. Also, we have junk bonds. Junk bonds are a way to get a lot of extra income. And obviously that comes with risk. Anytime you're getting elevated levels of income above treasuries, you're taking on some type of risk. And with junk bonds, it's typically credit risk, sometimes a little bit of credit risk, sometimes a lot of credit risk, but we're going to look at some trends there because ultimately it does tend to feed into the broader economy and equity prices. Also, Commercial real estate, we're going to be digging into that Wednesday, but I want to give you a quick update on where foreclosures are coming from. And then lastly, what are the trends in store bought brands, private label bands, excuse me. So we're going to look at that topic as well. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on Coinbase and Snowflake. And my perspective today looks into the yield curve and why it matters. So that's all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course your live calls as well at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's take a look at the market today. Now, after the attempted coup or uh, general volatility within the political space uh, of the the Russian sphere, you you would think that that would cause some sort of maybe. M- Market scare. Well, not really. But there were some underlying trends. And you had small cap value up over 1% today. Large cap growth down over 1% today. More broadly, the broad market, if you if you look at it based on market cap weighted indices, that was down about a third of 1%. Whereas small and mid caps, they were up about 0.6%. So you're starting to see this... This trend emerge, a reversal from the what, what's really happened since the beginning of the year, which was growth outperforming, large caps outperforming, and now small and mid-cap are starting, and the value side, are starting to outperform as well. So what does that entail? Is that a more of a focus on hard assets? Oil was up nicely today. Gold was up. Natural gas prices were up. So... This is a an emerging trend that doesn 't surprise me. I always thought that this move of those uh, those large cap growth names having a counter trend rally was was that just that a counter trend to a broader longer term downtrend or, or correction uh, in valuation where growth stocks were drastically overvalued, value stocks were drastically undervalued, and they 're going to probably over many years. Swing the other way. That's what happened post dot com bubble 1.0 from 2000 to 2007, and then it reversed the other way. So these pendulums tend to, to swing over the long term in the, the short term as well. So, an interesting little uh, reversal today that we'll see if it has legs, see if we get follow through into the end of the week and end of the quarter, which comes up here at the end of the week. All right. Now let's head over to our first listener question now. i just Steve. I was looking to
2: add more industrial exposure to my portfolio and I came across XLI. I looked at their top ten holdings and I like Caterpillar and Deer, ticker symbol C A T and D E. They're similar but Deer has more emphasis on agriculture, whereas cat has more on heavy machinery. I was wondering which you thought was better or maybe i can just buy both also if i can get a good entry point that would be much appreciated thank you so much we appreciate everything that you guys do and learning from the podcast goodbye
1: all right looking at deer and caterpillar and you're correct similar in a lot of ways in construction mining machinery type of uh, sector sectors and caterpillar is the premier manufacturer of heavy equipment locomotives it's the world's largest manufacturer of heavy equipment with over thirteen percent market share in 2021, and Deere is the world's leading manufacturer of agricultural equipment, and you know that's the biggest brand within uh, within that space. Now, both are very good companies, however, they're obviously going to differ a little bit depending on ag prices. Deere is going to be reliant on that, whereas Caterpillar more reliant on heavy construction and i think long term caterpillar is probably the better play because of its consistency even in down markets it still has tends to have return on equity in the low teens in good times it has return equity 30 40% okay and deer it does well also but it's a little more volatile and you know it's really a play more on what you think is better. Now, uh, Caterpillar, that one has a better balance sheet, a little bit lower debt, which I kind of like. It's payout ratio is only about 38%, whereas Deer, that's about 66%. So there's more room for Caterpillar to up its dividend, which I kind of like. But like you said, both are good, both are good options. I might buy a little bit of both. I think uh, what you did is smart, going into XLI finding some of the better names within the space you're never gonna hit a home run and, and know the exact one that's going to do the best uh, but when you find you can take a, a, a sector ETF like that look at the with, with the whole look at the holdings and find the top two three four five names and allocate it that way so I like buying both here and they both have pulled back recently and uh, these are decent buy points at least in the near term all right, going into a quick break, please remember that you can call anytime, leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 in the, in Silicon Valley, you can call now at 888-99-CHART.
3: KPP Financial invites you to join us for a new Talk Wealth Webinar, Rates and Real Estate you'll gain valuable investing insights for the commercial and residential real estate markets of 2023. We will also explore the world of REITs and delve into a comprehensive analysis of the Deferred Sales Trust, a real estate tax deferral strategy. The InvestTalk Wealth Webinar will take place on Wednesday, June 28th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. And it will be led by InvestTalk host, Justin Klein, along with KPP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. This complimentary webinar is your opportunity to learn from top finance experts in the industry. So go to InvestTalk.com, register for this free wealth webinar, Rates and Real Estate. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart.
2: Hey, Justin and Steve, this is Dan from Philly calling with regards to Coinbase, C O I N. Just wanted to get your thoughts on it now that BlackRock is ordering an ETF through it and banks and traditional Wall Street firms like Charles Schwab and Citadel Securities is. Again, making a crypto exchange or backing a crypto exchange. So I'm wondering if this is a catalyst for Coinbase and with more of an acceptance in the overall market. And this to be a, a good jumping point. I'm looking forward to hearing your response. Thanks so much.
1: Well, you left out the most important aspect of what's going on with Coinbase right now. And that is what is called a Wells Notice from the SEC saying that they are breaking the rules, breaking the law. And obviously, they're arguing with that, and they're not really coming, they're not being forthright with what the SEC is asking for. And remember, this is a a crypto exchange. And does that mean that there's going to be other competitors? I think that's certainly possible. Obviously, they've cracked down on everything that basically is not Bitcoin or Ether. So you're going to lose that trading in that market for the most part. And remember, this is an exchange. It makes money off the transaction fees. So lower volume, which you've seen within the, the the Bitcoin network as of late, is certainly not good for them. And they're supposed to continue to lose more money. They've lost money uh, every quarter since the second quarter. Sorry, the first quarter of last year. Then you add on the Wells notice. You add on the on it, the pressure within the space when it comes to regulation. I think this is a stone cold short. Stone cold short Now the biggest worry is obviously a short squeeze. Short interest is at about oof, about 40 million shares. That's probably the biggest worry because the float is about 140 million. So you're talking 25 to 30 percent of the float is short. That's would be my biggest worry is just not from a fundamental perspective just short-term short squeeze. They just continue to issue more and more shares. That's how they're staying afloat. Because their free cash flow is turning 12 months $1.1 And how is this done since the rally in growth stocks? It's gone up, but this is bearish. These are not the names that you want to be playing with. Companies that are cash flow negative. that are issuing more and more shares. Day after day, week after week, month after month. You want them to be doing the opposite you want cash flow positive you want them buying back shares, paying down debt. This is the antithesis of a good buy, which typically means it's a good short but obviously short a short squeeze is uh, is the biggest risk here, not the Business doing well because it's going to t- continue to struggle. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give Invest Talk a call at 888 99 Chart.
3: You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Beasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't
1: forget to call Investar, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Nick. He is in Manhattan Beach. He wants to talk about Zoetis.
2: Uh, yeah. Hey, Justin. So Zoetis um, is a leading maker of, um, you know, manufacturer and commercializer of animal um, livestock and also just, you know, how to pet vaccines and medicines. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's a pretty sticky industry. I don't think animals are going anywhere either, in terms of the ones that we eat, and uh, have to you know have to vaccinate in that regard, and also just our pets that we care about and want to keep um, keep healthy. Mm-hmm. Their financials are good, uh, as far as I can tell. Um, I've owned this stock since about early mid 2020 and it's effectively mm-hmm. done nothing it was mm-hmm. around the 160 then it's around mm-hmm. 160 now mm-hmm. however revenues are about a billion and a half higher and earnings per share are, are significantly higher than then too so i'm wondering I, I think it's it's a little bit undervalued um as i just said I, I own it I'm wondering whether to add more or just to whether just get out um what do you think
1: well f- first thing what makes you think it's undervalued and b why do you think it hasn't gone anywhere since you bought it if the underlying business has improved
2: um i i think it uh it got a bit of a high multiple during the run up in 2021 and got taken out with thrown out with the bathwater. um significantly went down in 2022 and you know it's it's recovering now but it as, as a result of that down draft it hasn't hasn't done too much over the last three years Business-wise, um, I don't know why investors are uh, signing a lower multiple now. Um, nothing seems to have changed margin-wise, profitability-wise.
1: Do you think it potentially was overvalued a couple of years ago when you bought it?
2: Um, you know, looking at the rate, the, the profit-price-to-earnings uh, ratios, they've always been in the 40s. Mid 40s, mm-hmm. low 50s, high 30s. Um, and what was the growth?
1: And what though. was the growth rate back then?
2: They were growing around. Uh, they were growing sales um, six or seven percent a year. And I see now that in 2022 they only grew 3.9 percent. So yeah, a bit of a slowing in sales.
1: Yeah, so that's this. This is I'm, what I'm trying to do is lead you to the answer here. And the simple answer is it was overvalued when you bought it, and it continues to be overvalued. Now it's not as overvalued as it was back then, um, but it, it continued to trading, you know, to trade at a 30 plus multiple. And when it was growing its revenue, 20 plus percent year over year uh, in the in the second quarter of 2021, revenues were up 26 percent year over year and it can it was a strong grower for you know 5 7 years before that now the last 3 quarters sorry the last yeah the last 3 quarters you have 1% revenue growth 4% revenue growth and 1% revenue growth year over year and yep. 1% decline in earnings 15% increase in earnings and 3% decline in earnings so growth is slowing dramatically and you are trading at a well above, nearly double market multiple for something that is now growing at or below what the market is doing. Now, the positive here is they have a very fairly clean balance sheet, but you're trading at nearly 10 times price to sales. And if you've listened to any length of time, you know that anything 10 plus times of sales is extremely rare to be profitable to to that being a good investment over the long term because of the type of growth that is needed in order to grow into that multiple. Not growth for one year, but talking about the next five, 10 years. And after already a long runway of growth, they have very high market share and their growth is going to be relatively muted. And then if you look at the recent relative strength They've rebounded, like you said, with uh, a lot of the, the growthier names in the market since the beginning of the year. But it's now starting to underperform pretty dramatically. And I think this all is a process that is maybe halfway done of correcting into a more reasonable multiple that is probably still above the, the market. But should it, be, should it be trading for double? A market multiple? Probably not. Low 20s? Mid-20s? I could accept that because it's a very good business, strong balance sheet. It's probably going to return to probably above average growth. But I still think it's not worth 35 times earnings, 10 times sales. So I think it's going to continue to correct. um... I I think it's going to continue to correct. And you know what I, I think it would be interesting at? $100 $100 per share. It's at 167 So no, I would not be adding to it based on the valuation, based on the relative strength. I think this is in a multi-year period. You're near, what, 18 months in to a multi-year downtrend that's going to correct probably to a level where it will be cheap again. But it's not there yet. It's got a long way to go. And our fair value is closer to the $100 level. Thanks for the call. Okay. Now I'm the next and best Doc, the story behind this question, what are the three current but imperfect sources of retirement income? Treasury bonds and tips ladders are backed by the U.S. government while annuities ease the danger of outliving one's money. However, each have their drawbacks. Steve, will get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication, and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's hackeron ecom HackerOne.com. hackerone.com.
0: One
3: of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART.
1: Now, my focus point looks in the story behind this question. England is heading towards a mortgage catastrophe. Could this happen? in the u s and just last week the bank of england increased rates by 50 basis points to five percent kind of in line with where we are here in the fed and this is a bigger increase than the market had been expected been expecting the bov boe's 13th consecutive rate rise and this takes the level to the highest level since 2008 and well. What you see here in the U.S. is the golden handcuffs where people locked into those 3% mortgages. In the U.K. and a lot of European countries, the 30-year mortgage is not really the norm. They have more floating rate debt that tends to reset as interest rates move. And this is going to affect millions of people uh, in the U.K. And the National Institute of Economic and Social Research came out with a report And they think that the total proportion of insolvent households will rise to nearly 30% due to these rate increases. And they see this taking out about 0.3% of the UK GDP and increasing the cost of mortgages by 12 billion pounds per year. They say the monthly mortgage repayment will rise by nearly 50% on average, 50%, five zero. And that's above the typical stress test when they give out these loans. And fixed-rate monthly mortgage payments will rise from around 700 pounds to 1,000 pounds on average. And this applies to nearly 2 million households who need to be remortgaged. That's what they call it, remortgaged, refinanced. Okay, And they gave some suggestions to the UK government, which is forbearance agreements which allow households to agree to agree to repay based on what they can afford, based on their income. And I'm sure that they will take them up, right? There's political pressure to keep an economic crisis from really snowballing. And that's this typical human action, which is look at the last crisis and do whatever they can to avoid that last crisis. And governments tend to step in. Just look what happened during the COVID crisis, right? Spending a bunch of money, emergency measures to avoid a deflationary bust. And obviously, something like this would be a deflationary bust within the UK economy. Now, the question would be, is that is that how's that going to happen here? Probably not. Once again, because people are locked into those lower rates. And another reason why the UK government is doing this is because the annual inflation rate in May rose to 8.7, rose to 8.7, well ahead of the 2% target of the BOE. You know, we're now in the fours. So that's also a bit different as well. There's, we're much closer to our target. And so this is that tightrope that these governments are, are trying to, to walk, which is how do we adjust the demand side of inflation, when there's mainly a supply issue, right we talked about we've talked about this many times deglobalization and supply chain disruptions that's a much bigger part of what's happening with inflation than this demand side that's all they can really mess with raising the borrowing costs and thus economic activity linked to that borrowing that's the demand side for the most part and you can even argue higher interest rates. Hurt the supply side because higher cost capital to go out there and invest in new supply, new infrastructure projects, new manufacturing facilities. I would argue raising interest rates is not having the desired effect that they typically did in the past. And then add on top of that, the massive amount of government debt out there. Well, when the government's now paying 5% of their debt, suddenly that's money going into people's pockets and driving more consumption. So, I think central banks are using tools that are a bit outdated and aren't adjusting for what is causing, what's the cause of inflation right now. And while they're doing that in parts of the market that are interest rate sensitive, they're creating problems like this. So, it's a very interesting dynamic to see how they. Tiptoe around all this and not blow something up. Now, the good thing is they've figured out how to not blow things up, right? Inject liquidity when needed. Develop programs that prevent major banking crises. Let me rephrase that. Prevent major banking crises from spreading. So I thought this was an interesting topic because it, it really highlights what's happening overseas and in other markets where there isn't that fixed 30-year fixed mortgage that most people have, we're more of an anomaly. And you have to maybe counter lucky stars that we've uh, set it up that way, even though uh, there there are other problems with that as well. Now let's, now, let's quickly squeeze in another caller question here that came in earlier on 888 chart
2: Hi, my name is Duncan Forge from New York. Just had a, a quick question about the stock Snowflake. S-N-O-W, as a longtime listener, I know that tech stocks are obviously not in favor right now. Uh, Everything that you've taught all of us, I've maximized uh, a lot of dividend and value stocks, but I think I'm ready to take a little bit uh, long-term risk. So that's why I'm looking at a little bit of growth stocks. I would just like to know the entry point and if this cloud-based is a good investment overall, just for long-term looking to put this in my uh, Roth IRA account and my brokerage account. Thank you very much for all that you do. Bye. All
1: right, now this is Snowflake. It's a data lake warehousing and sharing company. Came public in 2020. And I know that they have, this is a big data play, data analytics play, and they're uh, one of the best in the biz. Uh, however, when it comes to turning that being best in the biz into a profitable business they've done that but still to a meager degree earnings this year is supposed supposed to be positive for the first time 58 cents a share they earned 15 cents a share last quarter 91 cents expected next year but both of those estimates for this year and next year continue to come down and you're trading at 170 dollars per share so are you paying uh, nearly a nearly 200 forward looking multiple and once again price of sales what was the last one? Nearly 10. This one's 24. So even more egregiously overvalued. And then you look at this recent rally that growth stocks have had, and it's been underperforming. And today, it was down dramatically, $8.41. What's that percentage-wise? $4, 4.7%. 4. So it got crushed today, especially compared to uh, the broader markets. And you're starting to see that. You're starting to see rollover, the, the riskier names, though, names that don't have nearly as good as businesses, right? You look at Apple today, another that would be kind of lumped in with the Fang names, down today, but down less than 1%. And so if you were going to invest in the growthier side of the market, what do you want to do? You want to be investing in companies that are at least somewhere near the realm of, uh, of, of decent value. Snowflake is nowhere close it's got a lot farther to go to fall. And it's been just been in a trading range as of late and probably has more downside to go. So I would not, this is not the type of name that if you're trying to gain growth exposure, first off, you're a little late to the game. This first half has been that rally, and it looks like we're that's coming to an end fairly soon. And then you're investing in still some of the most overvalued names. I don't care about the story it's unless it's going to cure cancer it's it's egregiously overvalued so pass now my perspective looks at the history of the yield curve over the last decade first let me define what a yield curve is now yield curve is simply a plot of the different yields on maturities of various debt instruments and typically you're talking about the government Market, government debt market, the treasury market. And an inverted yield curve is when short-term rates are higher than longer-term rates. Now, a lot of people look at the 210s curve and use that as a signal for a recession. I like to typically use the three-month and 10-year. That's a little bit more predictive. I'm not sure why everyone got stuck on the 210, but they did. But the three-month, 10-year is definitely more indicative of what the market is pricing it. Now, normally the longer term securities carry a higher yield because you're compensated for the added risk of holding that security over a long period of time. An inverted yield curve once again is the exact opposite of that. Now, Effectively, investors commonly demand a premium to commit to investments that are longer in term. And this is what is called the liquidity preference. Liquidity preference, meaning all things being equal, you rather get your money back sooner if you're going to get the same yield. And rates are not expected to change over time. So you have that liquidity preference. So that's normal environment, upward sloping yield curve. Now, when the yield curve is inverted, it's driven by investor concerns that, yes, the economy is going to weaken in the future, the Fed is going to cut rates, and those short-term, remember, the the yield curve is just made up of expectations of rates uh, in increments, right? Because you can invest and lock it up for X number of years, or you can roll it three-month periods, right? And all of the expectations of what, the the interest rates will be in every three-month period adds up to the yield on a particular duration. Now, a lot of people say, oh, the yield curve is inverted. We're going into a recession. And typically, that's true. Yes, the inverted yield curve has predicted a recession, every recession since World War II. But there have been times where yield curve did not predict a recession. And it tends to lag. Between six and eighteen months, and over the last decade, yield curve inversions have been brief, lasting under ten months. But in the seventies, when short-term rates were in the double digits, yield curves inverted for twenty-one months. Then we had that was in late nineteen seventies, August of nineteen seventy-eight. Then for a few months it went back to normal, upwardly sloping yield curve. Then it inverted again in September of uh, nineteen eighty, and for eleven months. And then we had a recession soon after that. So, is it predictive? Yes, but it's not perfect. And today, the three-month is around 5%, and the 10-year, around 3.7. So, based on the 50 years of history, the yield curve inversion signals a risk of recession sometime next year. Now, I would agree with that. But also, not all recessions are created equal. Everyone looks at 08. They think that is a recession. It's not. That was a financial crisis. Go back to the early 2000s recession, post dot com bubble bust. It was a very mild recession. A lot of people didn't really feel it. Unemployment rate ticked up a little bit, but not much. It was mainly concentrated in tech. Very similar to today. The early 90s, similar. Mild recession. So just because it's signaling a recession doesn't mean it has to be some catastrophe, and oftentimes uh, the markets chop into that and rally from there. And I think that's where we're at now. now. Let's touch a bit on junk bonds, and so far the issuance of junk bonds have been up about thirty-five percent year over year in the first quarter, and they've the, these junk or these companies that are issuing these junk bonds have been able to issue based on a couple of tweaks they've done to their, their issuance, their bonds that they're, they're putting out to market. 62% of them have been secured by a certain type of asset. So collateralized, meaning, hey, if we default, it's not just you have general, generally secured by the, all the assets of our business, it's secured by these particular assets. For example, if you're a trucking company, it's secured by these set amount of trucks that we own. For example, okay? So that's one way they've been able to go to market. Better protection for lenders, buyers of these debt. And then maturity. On average, it went down to about 6.1 years, down from 7.4 years over the last decade on average. Now, here in the U.S., there was some worry about the banking crisis, crimping credit, and banks pulling back lending. But you have to remember that majority of corporate borrowing happens in public markets, in the bond market. And so a healthy bond market can kind of offset shrinking lending within the the banking sector. Another consideration, even though the yields are higher than they have been in a long time, they, are, they, they can call them typically after two years, meaning that if interest rates fall and they're paying seven, eight, nine, 10% on these recently issued junk bonds, in two years they can say, here's your money back plus your interest. We're going to go reissue at lower rates. So that's also kind of quelled worries about the cost of the borrowing. And a lot of these companies are trying to head off any risks of higher interest rates by replacing floating rate debt. And that's very common. A lot of floating de- debt is with these junk rated names. So they're able to lock in a rate that's at least reasonable uh, and replace some of those rising rate debt that they have, that they uh, have issued. Now let's take a quick break. We have one live caller coming up on a Best Talk at 888-99-CHART.
3: The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief
1: Riskalyze quiz. Let's go talk to Sammy in San Francisco. He's asking about Apple.
3: Uh, Hey, Justin, thanks for taking my call. Um, I would like to understand your view on Apple. Uh, It's been trading at an all-time high um, very recently. And some people are saying there's going to cut cut in half uh, given their growth uh, growth rate, right, which has been kind of slowing. I got in at around 122. And I'm just kind of wondering if I should just dump and run so I don't want to wake up one day and see the stock trading at uh, less than hundred dollars, uh, without having split. <laughs> um, what are your views on Apple?
1: Well, I don't think Apple is going to get cut in half. Uh, I will say that, but you know it, it's come a long way from what one twenty five at the end of last year, all the way to one eighty five. And you know today is a example of it. Certainly underperformed the broader market because it's kind of lumped in with the the fang names. Now I've said this for. Many, 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 many years. Out of the fang names, Apple is by far the best business. It's not even close. It pales in comparison. Every every other company pales in comparison to the quality of the business that Apple has created for itself. So if you're going to own one, it's Apple. We've owned it for uh, clients for a long period of time. However, I will say, if you look at where Apple is trading today enterprise value to ebitda, price to sales, etc. it's now near the high end of its of its range. Okay. So, is it cheap now? No. I wouldn't say it's cheap. Do I think it needs to be cut in half? No, I don't think so either. Now, could we pull back into, you know, the 150s? If the growth versus value trade kind of turns over, like it's starting to do right now. I, I see no reason why that's not possible. I don't think 150 is unreasonable for it to go down to. That's where the 200-day moving average is. That's where it kind of broke out from uh, back in March. And it's not uncommon for that those breakout areas to be retested. So is, do I think it's going to go to 100? No. Do I think it could pull back to 150? Yes. So do with that what you will. Obviously, you, you're up on it there's tax consequences of selling pull back from 185 to 150 i don't think that's the end of the world but maybe you want to avoid that but also could be wrong could just continue to power higher and uh, on the strength of its business you know a lot of people have been talking about the death knell of apple for a long period of time and i always say i don't see any reason why apple should go down you know pull back more than you know, 30% at any given time because of the strength of its business. You, you know, obviously it's a bit overvalued right now. So that's part of it. Um, but this is one of the best businesses probably to ever be created. Think of the iPhone and the strength of that platform and iOS and the ecosystem and the cash flow that, that throws off. They have very little net debt on their balance sheet. They buy back shares. They're good ca- capital allocators. They have good leadership. So you can get cute and try to play a pullback in it. Sure. If you want to wouldn't be my advice. What I'd probably do maybe trim so many people, they think it's all or nothing. I buy more or I sell all of it. You know, rebalance is your friend for most people. That's what they should be doing because nobody knows exactly where it's going but you're playing the odds and you're saying, I'm going to take a little risk off the table. Maybe it was 3% of your portfolio. It's gone up a lot. Now it's 4% of your portfolio. Bring it back to 3% of your portfolio. What's wrong with that? Still in it. You've taken some money off the table. You've taken some gains off the table. Investing is not an all or nothing proposition. Getting allocated to something isn't, you don't have to do it all at once. You can buy a little bit here, a little bit there, be opportunistic with it. All right. Hope that helps, Sammy. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another. Oh, oh, we're done. We're done for the day. Wow, that was quick. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And mark your calendar this Wednesday, June 28th, our all new wealth webinar, Rates and Real Estate. And you can register right now at investtalk.com. Independent thinking showed success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security.